Hi, I'm referee Mark Freilich. Thanks for joining us today for episode 21 of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Freilich podcast. My guest today is Kurt Schooley of Hilliard, Ohio, in the central area of the Buckeye State. Kurt has been an official for 20 seasons. 16 of those have been in Ohio. Four have been in the state of Kansas. He took the basketball officiating class in 1999 as a student at the Ohio State University. He is currently a rules interpreter in central Ohio. He's worked one state tournament final four in Ohio, and he also was assigned a second state tournament in the year 2020, this past season, but unfortunately was never able to work that due to the coronavirus. Kurt has worked eight regional basketball games, uh, again, the, the ninth one that he was assigned in 2020 never worked out due to uh, the virus. Um, from 2009 to 2015, he was an OHSAA certified instructor. Uh, for 14 years, he's been a high school football official, and he has three state football finals under his belt in uh, 2013, 2017, and 2020. He currently works on the timing crew for Ohio State home football games and Ohio State home men's basketball games. He is the assistant director for satellite and outdoor facilities in the Department of Recreational Sports at The Ohio State University, where he also received his bachelor's degree and he received a master's degree at Ohio University. He lives, like I said earlier, in Hilliard and uh, his hometown is Bowling Green, Ohio. He uh, is married uh, his wife for 14 years, and he has uh, three children. So he's uh, certainly a, a young official with uh, active family, and, and we just appreciate the time that he's able to spend with us on this, on this episode. The podcast itself is provided week in and week out because of the support from our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC, and its owner and fellow basketball official, Matt Kearns. I just ask that you visit pq-2.com and learn more about PQ2 LLC. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of a segment of this podcast, you may contact me at markfralick at hotmail.com. And also with 2021 uh, comes new opportunities for you as well. If you would like to consider a gift to help support this podcast, I'd appreciate that very much. You can go to anchor.fm backslash mark dash and click on the support button. You can make a one-time gift or you can utilize the various monthly options. And I thank you in advance for the gift. And finally, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you do that, you'll be able to receive an update on your device whenever a new episode appears. I hope you enjoy listening to Kurt. I think he has a lot of interesting stories to tell, a lot of good advice for officials. Um, so uh, just enjoy the show. Well, welcome to another episode of the High School Basketball Referee. Today's guest, Kurt Schooley, um, is going to offer a nice perspective, I think. At 43 years old, he's got a lot of experience on the basketball floor. Uh, and, and so, Kurt, welcome to, the, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, not a problem. Glad to have you on again. And let's talk a little bit about your career. Um, you've had one state tournament. You had another one that was canceled last year due to COVID. Uh, talk a little bit about your state tournament experiences. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, like you said, uh, some time on the court, 20 years, and I did have one state tournament back in 2016. And a handful of years before that, um, I was fortunate enough to be an alternate. So I kind of got to see see how the things went, uh, you know, working out on the floor and, and seeing what the crews did and, and kind of the routine. And so I think that definitely helped me. Uh, when I did work that that state uh, assignment in 2016, great game uh, between Lima Senior and Wilmington in a Division One semifinal game on Friday night with a packed uh, gymnasium of over 15,000 people at the shot. Um, an excellent game. Uh, two very very talented teams. A lot of the players you know went on to the next level and played basketball. Um, and and yeah, like you said, last year, unfortunately. Um, was not able to work the state assignment, um, but uh, who knows? We'll see what the what the future brings in those uh, regards. Um, also, I've done eight uh, regional tournaments. You know, from Northeast Ohio and Canton was my first one back in 2012, um, and would have worked at Bowling Green State University uh, last year. Um, had COVID not interrupted the season, which is actually my hometown, so that would have been a fun game to work as well in front of uh, family and friends. So in your 20 years of basketball officiating, you have four years in Kansas. Um, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about when that occurred and maybe some of the differences between Ohio and Kansas. Sure. Yeah. So after I graduated from Ohio University um, in 2002, I stuck around there for one more year um, in, in a term position as a coordinator within NRL sports there in the recreation uh, department at OU. And then I took a job in the summer of 2003 um, at the University of Kansas. And so that that caused me to, to move out to Lawrence, Kansas. Um, you know, very fortunate that some people there in their recreation department, you know, were very tied in with officiating and were able to, you know, get me into the into the local association, meet the right people, meet the assigners, um, and really made it a, as, as seamless as it can be. Because I know that one thing that happens with officiating when you move, a lot of times you end up having to start over kind of and, and, and you might go back down a few rungs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really helped the connections that I had within the department at the University of Kansas and was really able to not lose too much of a beat there and, and get involved right away. Um, worked on some crews there in Kansas, was fortunate enough to do some some postseason assignments. Um, Kansas, a few things that were different, um, just a, a lot more um, – driving <laughs> the, the, the schools are not nearly as close together lots of small schools obviously in kansas lawrence uh you know being a town about eighty thousand people or so um and about a half hour from kansas city on the west side um a lot of the games that we worked actually were in the suburban kansas city area on the west side um and, and then out in the rural areas around lawrence um but they're just not nearly as many schools not nearly as many people in the state of kansas um and so uh, a lot more small schools and very few large schools there um did work in crews uh the only the only real differences that i noticed other than some of those size things um were regards to in kansas you actually took a test at the time that i was there you took a test every year um which obviously is different than ohio um and the the local association meetings that was actually where you where i took my first test was was as part of that local association um and and the meeting structures were a little bit different but but for the most part a lot uh, very similar in a lot of regards as well 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and also, uh, your job, I want to talk just briefly about that. Uh, you work on the timing crew for Ohio sure. State home football games and men's basketball games. And tonight, our interview tonight is right after a men's basketball game. But talk a little bit about uh, this past season, yeah, obviously with Ohio State and yeah. football. What a what a crazy year that that was. So talk about your experiences with Ohio State football and men's basketball with as a timing crew member. Sure. So I've been involved uh, with both uh, the timing crew for football and then the men's score table crew as well in basketball for a handful of years. And, and really that actually came about because of my involvement with the Department of Recreational Sports at Ohio State. Um, the, the timing crew for both those sports has always been from uh, the Department of Recreational Sports. And a lot of that comes from one people that are involved with officiating both, you know, football and basketball. A lot of us work in that department. Um, but then it also gives a little bit of division and, and it's not necessarily athletics employees working. So a little bit of that conflict of interest, uh, removes, um, being that we're a different area of the university, um, done a few different jobs, um, at both, at both sports, um, actually started as one of the officials hosts, um, in football, uh, and, and was involved on the North 20 yard line and would wear the, the headset for the replay and the, and the lovely lime green vest. Um, <laughs> but we would help the officials as they got to, got to town and get them to the game and get them back to the hotel after the game. Um, and did that for a few years. Uh, and then actually, um, somebody was leaving the crew that worked up in the press box. And so I moved upstairs to do the scoreboard um, and did that for a handful of years. And so I would do the down and distance uh, as well as the points um, and the timeouts that were left on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that for a handful of years. And then uh, actually the last two years on the timing crew for football, um, I have been the person that runs the, the TV timeout clock in the stadium so they started timing the timeouts in the stadium so that everybody coaches officials exactly knew how much time was coming um and so it also was a way to hold tv a little bit more accountable i think (laughs) um so they didn't go a little bit too long on their timeouts um and so i've been doing that for the last couple years uh men's basketball tonight like you said i was working at the game um i was actually doing the game clock tonight um i've done a handful of positions at the the score table as well from the shot clock to the game clock to the scoreboard to the backup score which which as you mentioned like this year is a little bit different and so one of the things that's different at the score table for men's basketball is there's no longer a backup score so we would not only have an official score in past season but there'd be a backup score next to the official score um and, and really that was one, a lot of things happen at a, at a college basketball game. And so you've got subs coming in and, and timeouts and TV timeouts being taken and reporting. And so that, that second person, they're not only keeping the book, but their main responsibility in the past was always the subs. And so keeping exactly a grid of who's on the court, who came in for who, um, because of how important that is, you know, based on fouls and flagrant fouls and who's shooting and who's eligible to shoot and all those kinds of things. But then that backup score was also somebody who would help the PA who was sat next to them with 
how many files was on that person, how many files are on the team, um, so that they could do their job. A season being so different at the table, and and who, how many people are at the table, um, that backup score is, is no longer a part of the table right now, um, mainly because we have to space people out, and so there's only room for so many. Um, but this year, another thing that's different, obviously, is we get tested. So the day before the game and the day of the game, we have to get a, a COVID test um, to make sure that when we're working the game that, that we are negative. Um, and so obviously that's something that's different uh, this year as well. Um, and while I'm not on the field for football, the people that are on the field for football helping the officials with the replay, they have to do that same thing during football season. Um, so it, it is a little bit different um, this season from that regard, but once the once the ball's kicked off or the the ball's tipped up, a lot of the rest of it is is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is a different year. Well, uh, this uh, episode, as as every episode, is brought to you uh, in part with uh, thanks from PQ2 LLC and its owner Matt Kearns. So before we head into the pregame, we want to hear a little bit from Matt. We'll be right back. Hey Ref, if your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough, candid, and honest pregame discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. So we begin the pregame, and uh, just like a pregame in basketball, we want to get to know each other a little bit better. So we kind of got an idea of a little bit of what you do uh, in your personal life. But talk about your journey into officiating. How did you get into it? Sure. So uh, I was an undergrad student at Ohio State University uh, in the late 90s. And one of the class requirements for the major that I had was you had to pick an officiating class to take. Um, And I think at the time the options were – uh, softball, basketball, football, and I think possibly wrestling was, was the fourth option. Um, and I, I chose basketball. And um, at the time, the class that I took, and I believe there were two classes being offered, but the t- class that I took was being taught by Fred Beekman and Bruce Maurer. And Fred Beekman really was one of kind of the, the godfathers of fishing in central Ohio. He was a director at Ohio State in the Department of Recreational Sports. Um, had been there a really long time. There's some facilities on campus named after him. Um, and that class actually was taught in a classroom that used to be inside the stadium um, at Ohio State. Hmm. Uh, that classroom actually is no longer there. I think it's part of like a recruiting room now above the, the men's uh, the locker room there at the stadium. But uh, took that class in uh, early 1999, and towards the end of the the class, um, the coordinator for intramural sports came in to chat about you know what opportunities there were for a basketball official at Ohio State within an intramural. But by the time that I had decided yeah, this is something that I really wanted to do. Um, you know, they had already done some trainings and, and for that season, they, you know, they were ready to go and, and they had hired their people. And thankfully, a uh, resourceful classmate kind of helped convince the coordinator that, Hey, I, I think, I think this guy can do it. I think you, you know, give this guy a chance, even though he's you know running a little bit late. 
and uh, they did. And uh, I started basketball officiating and intramurals at Ohio State uh, shortly after that class was finished. And um, really did that for a couple of years. Um, worked some, you know, some optimist basketball league in Upper Arlington, which is right around campus, and, and the Buckeye Officials Association, which is uh, part of the, the intramural department at Ohio State. They actually were the ones that assigned the optimist league uh, at Upper Arlington. So did that on the side as well, um, and and really that's that's where I got my my start was was at Ohio State, um, and then uh, from there, you know, did some some lower level stuff, um, but that's that's really where I got my start. Do you remember your first varsity game? You know, I remember one of my first two. I don't remember which came first because it's been so long ago. And mm-hmm. actually, at the time, it was actually a situation where I was a class two, but they had so few officials in Southeast Ohio. My first actually game came when I was a grad student down at Ohio university. Mm. And so they had to ask for an exception to work. And it was either at federal hockey high school or Marietta high school. I can't remember which one came first. Um, but that would have been my, my first uh, varsity assignment. So it probably would have been around the gosh, 2000 or 2001 season, somewhere in there. Anything particular that you remember about those first games that you had? Not necessarily the first one, but but some of the um, emotions that you might have been going through, or, or some of the things you might have learned. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, my my personality is is, is pretty pretty uh, laid back and calm, so I, I, definitely some butterflies, right? Um, and thankfully, I think the situation that I was in, I, I was made me feel a lot more comfortable because I knew the people that I was working with, you know? And so having somebody more experienced than me that I know that knows me, that knows where I'm coming from, that knows my level, um, and, and can kind of mentor me through that process, uh, made me feel a little bit more comfortable. Sure. Um, but as opposed to going into it with two blind dates, I think that that definitely helps knowing my partners in those games. Yeah. So in the pregame, um, talk a little bit about some of the things you talk about in your pregame. Sure. So, um, and, and I think a lot of it depends on on the experience that I have with my partners, but but some of the things aren't going to matter, right? So some of the things I think can go across no matter who you're working with. Um, obviously, communication, and and that can come in so many different forms. Um, whether it's nonverbal, um, between partners during the dead ball, um, whether it's communication with the player, communication with the coach, um, if we're having a sportsmanship issue. So if, if we're, if we're warning a player, um, especially if we're doing it in more of a, uh, a quiet manner, as opposed to making the warning more obvious, um, so that we're not all three warning the same player for doing something unsportsmanlike. And so that that type of communication, um, if we're having to talk to a coach and if we've had a conversation with a coach um, about something then making sure they're communicating on that, if we're communicating, um, you know, when we get close to seven fouls, obviously, you know, obviously everybody has their their signals for whatever it is when we get to six so that we know the next time we're going to have a foul, we're going to shoot one-on-one. Um, a lot of times I like to even give a signal when we get to five, um, just so we're kind of already getting in that mindset um, of, of coming up on a bonus situation. Um, like to talk through pass and crash, right? So drive coming down one side of the paint, um, who's going to take the pass, who's going to take the crash so that we're all on the same page so we don't have two sets of eyes going 
with the ball and nobody watching the crash. Um, you know, everybody else also, you might, might hear, you know, make the first foul a good one. And, and I believe that to an extent as well. Um, but I think kind of along with that, trying to be ready from the tip, you know, and being ready to go from the time the ball is tossed up in the air. Um, you know, we had a situation a few years ago where ball gets tipped, collected by uh, the offense in the front court, and he immediately, without even thinking about it, passes it to his point guard in the back court, right? And so mm-hmm. if we're not ready to go, you know, we might miss that. And then on top of that, you know, taking the time to realize, hey, we need to make sure that the table knows which way the arrow is going. Because even though they are going to lose the ball because they committed a backcourt violation, they're also not going to get the arrow because the other team did legally possess the ball in the front court with a tip. And so um, being ready to go at the tip, because if, you know, something like if you're not ready to go, some, a player like that can definitely kind of get you off on the wrong foot. Um, I think most importantly, the, the thing that I always say, no matter who I'm working with, is don't let us make a mistake, right? Don't bring back information to the locker room at halftime that we needed out there on the floor. Um, you know, in basketball, obviously we only have a certain amount of time to fix a mistake. Um, and if it is a correctable error. And so, you know, if you have information that we're going to send the wrong person to the line, if we're going to give the ball to the wrong team, um, if we're going to do the wrong number of shots, um, if you have information that maybe we need to think about upgrading the foul, you know, to an intentional, or, or if you have some information we need a flagrant foul type of thing, bring that information now um, and, and don't be afraid to bring it. Um, and I think that's something that especially um, I've, I've noticed recently, um, sometimes when I've worked with younger officials, sometimes I feel like they might be afraid to bring that information because they're coming to a more experienced official. Um, we had an out-of-bounds situation in a game recently, and I asked for help, looked to my partner on one side. He gave a direction, but he didn't seem totally confident with it when he gave it. Mm-hmm. and the coach is still kind of losing his mind over on the other sideline. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to my third official. So I go to the third official, and I said, hey, did you see it? And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. It was this way. And so, you know, I had to, you know, stop and think, like, if I hadn't gone to that official, would they have brought me that information, or would we have gave the ball to the wrong team? Um, and so, you know, and I've heard other officials, when I've relayed that story, they're like, yeah, I, I had a play similar to that the other night, and the official didn't come give me information, right? And so don't be afraid to come give information because all you're doing is helping the game and helping helping the whole crew. Yeah, that's a great point, um, especially for the younger officials as well, and, and also for the older officials. Sometimes there's sure. a little hesitation from them as well. So, yeah, you're 100% correct. That is the end of our pregame. We're going to head to the first quarter, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns with PQ2 LLC. Call me to discuss your next injection molded plastic resin buy. You'll realize it was a great call. We've been in the plastics business for over 40 years and are thrilled to work closely with world-class customers and best-in-class domestic and global suppliers. You can expect complete transparency through every step of your polymer sourcing process. This year marks my 34th year of officiating 
basketball in the state of Ohio. And I'm sending my best wishes to you for a safe, successful, and fun year on the hardwoods. Hey, ref, click on www.pq-2.com. First quarter, we deal with coaches and communications. And so, um, Kurt, talk about any specific encounters or examples with a coach that uh, that you've had that might bring some value to the officials listening. Sure. So I think the, the, the one thing I've, I've learned sometimes the hard way in, in dealing with coaches is, is they're, they're not all the same. You can't, what, 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 what would work with one coach might not work with another coach. Um, and so developing relationships with them and knowing what I can say to this coach, but I can't say to this coach, um, and, and, picking the spots to interact. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, um, I was always told, um, as an official and, and from a lot of different evaluators and people that I trust and mentor and have mentored me is you can't misquote silence. Right. So, um, you know, related to that, you know, sometimes I, I would find myself as a more, uh, inexperienced official wanting to react to everything that a coach said. And, uh, obviously that's not, <laughs> I found that that's not the way to go necessarily. Um, and, and another kind of, um, cliche that I've always heard is, you know, ignore statements, address craziness and penalize insanity. So, uh, you know, if a coach has a statement, I'm going to try to ignore it. If I can, if a statement gets made, first time down the court, second time down the court, third time down the court. Um, if it gets to a point that I need, I feel I need to address it. Maybe it's something like, Hey coach, I can't have a, a comment for every play. You know, can you help me out and pick some spots? Um, if you have a question, I'd be glad to answer it. Um, and, and try to address it, you know, maybe that way. Um, if a coach needs to get warned, obviously, you know, I want to help, my partners out and let them know we I've had that same conversation um, so that they're not having that same conversation with him as well. Um, and, and then if we get to the insanity part, then we have to penalize them. Um, and, you know, one of the things that um, sometimes I feel that, you know, if a, if a young official comes to me after working a JV game and says, man, that, player that coach that number whatever man he did not stop talking all night long my first question to them is what did you do about it did you address it did you have a conversation did you penalize them and and if their answer is no then obviously you know maybe need to rethink about that and and because whatever we permit to happen coach is going to think it's okay Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it gets to the point of insanity, you have to penalize it and we have to penalize it and treat it like any other foul that we call in the game. Um, hopefully, ideally, any technical foul that we you know, have to call, um, one, hopefully it, it makes the game better. Right. We're not um, we're not hopefully getting aggressive or in their face with the thing so that it becomes back and forth. Um, and so we, we treat it like any other foul, um, and hopefully, hopefully diffuse the situation and not, uh, not incite it. 
We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll head to the second quarter. Hey, Ref. Objectivity, integrity, and experience. All hallmarks of a quality basketball official. At PQ2 LLC, we bring those traits and an unmatched passion for our customers' successful plastic application by being a one-stop shop for thermoplastic resins. Visit our website at www.pq-2.com. Real needs, practical solutions, and exponential results. PQ2 LLC. As the second quarter begins, we talk about players and how we communicate with players and the communication. So, uh, Kurt, what can you say a little bit about working with the players? What's helped you the most in communicating with them? You know, I think the the thing that helps the most with the players is, is finding the leaders of the team. Um, and sometimes that's the captains. Uh, sometimes that's the best player who may not be the captain. Um, but identifying them early in the game. Um, obviously, if you've had the team before, maybe you already know who they are before you even walk on the floor. Um, but they can be your best friend in helping to, to deal with maybe the problem players on the floor. Um, so if you get that dead ball situation and you're able to talk to that person and say, hey, I need your help with your teammate. Um, you know, he needs to, whether it's keep his mouth uh, closed, not talk to the opponents, um, whatever I can, I can do to get them to help control their teammate um, and, and not become a problem player. Uh, let them know that, Hey, if that continues, it's going to hurt your team. Uh, not getting into the language of he's going to cost you a technical file, not getting into kind of ultimatums. Um, and, and if you don't have that player, um, you know, maybe it's using an assistant coach. Um, and if it's going over to a huddle during a timeout and say, Hey, I need your help with 10, uh, he's talking to the opponent or he's talking to me or whatever it is um, and use, utilizing the assistant coaches as well. Um, I, I found that that can be um, a, a good tool as well. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we dealt with that in a game last night. We had this, a real similar situation. Uh, we had a player uh, from one of the teams that was drawn a lot during the game, disagreeing with every call. And uh, during a timeout, we went up to the assistant coach of the team knocked it down, talked to him, asked him to talk to, to number 11, and, and he took care of things. We didn't hear anything for the rest of the night. So um, you're right. Uh, the preventive officiating is is definitely helpful uh, throughout the game. So let's talk a little bit about your job at Ohio State with um, on, the, on the timing crew. I'm sure you've had the opportunity to listen to officials uh, during the game, communicate with coaches, communicate with players as well. What kind of things have you picked up uh, from from uh, your time as a, as a timing crew member? Sure, yeah. They definitely uh, communicate a lot, uh, especially between the, the, the three people on the floor. Uh, but they do communicate with the players as well, uh, whether it's, you know, during live ball um, or dead ball. A lot of times the, the most communication that I see with the players comes during that dead ball time, uh, whether it's reporting a foul and we're going to inbound the ball, um, or probably the most prevalent situation actually is during free throws. So that trail official or that center official talking with somebody maybe who's outside of the three-point line um, and, and, and then 
also obviously communication with the coaches, right? And so um, being right between the two head coaches uh, on the floor, especially with the way that the, the college basketball head coaches box has been expanded, they can practically come to, to midcourt now. Um, you, you not only hear a lot of what the officials say, but hear what the coaches have to say as well. Um, and and I think the, the thing, one thing that I think I notice a lot from the court that maybe you don't always see on TV is that I think they generally genuinely are having a good time on the floor. Uh, some officials smile more than others. Um, but at the same time, um, you can definitely see and pick up on, on when kind of an official has, you know, they've had their trigger tripped and, and they've either had to address it with a, a warning to a player or a coach. Um, or you can tell that they are, having a, a, an extra set of eyes on on a problem player or a problem coach or someone on the bench uh and and when they feel they need to address it with a, a technical foul um and definitely um they are non-verbally communicating during bed balls a lot um whether it's clock situations shot clock situations um you know bonus where we're inbounding the ball um obviously they've got things that we don't have to worry about in a, in a high school basketball game, whether they're coming back from a timeout uh, and TV and, and those kind of things. Um, but definitely um, you realize how much they communicate on the floor that a lot of times you just don't see uh, if you're watching a game on television. Yeah. And you talk about the dead ball communicating. Have you been able to um, talk to the players on your games uh, a little bit more during dead ball situations, or do you find yourself uh, trying to stay away? You know, in, in a normal situation, yes, I, I do like to utilize dead ball situations to talk uh, quite a bit. Um, I, I find that free throws, obviously, if I'm the lead administering a free throw is a great time. You know, while my partner is reporting the foul, um, if I have to talk to a couple players on the block or if I'm talking to the person who's getting ready to shoot free throws because maybe they got a little bit upset after they got fouled and thought it was harder than it should have been or whatever, utilize that situation. Obviously, I think with, with – COVID this year, I think I try and keep my distance a little bit more than normal. Um, obviously, we're you know we're able to bounce the ball for every inbound now, so we're not quite as close. Um, and and I do communicate a little bit during live ball as well. You know, whether it's three seconds, you know, trying to get people to move in and out of the uh, the paint, um, or you know, hands uh, if if it's contact with the dribbler, you know, that we're not quite to the level of calling a foul on, but we're trying to prevent from having to call a foul. Um, you know, some of those kind of little things as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, proactive officiating is so critical, I think, uh, to, to really keep a good flow to the game. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if it gets to a point where I have to give a, a warning to a player, you know, I, in my mind, I, I, there's, there's a couple different levels of, of a warning, right? So if it's during a dead ball, um, and, and it's a, what I would consider more of a quiet warning. Um, it might be a situation where I'm not, I'm not trying to draw attention to it. Um, I'm just trying to go over and have a conversation with somebody, um, during the dead ball. Um, if it's a, what I might consider more of a loud warning, um, I've used this tool as well. Obviously I use this tool, you know, in, in rare circumstances, but if we have maybe, uh, players in the posts, jostling a little bit and it's not again not a foul situation but maybe they're going down the floor and now they're starting to jaw at each other and talk i've used the tool of stopping the game 
you know, calling those two players over, letting them know we're done talking and putting the ball back in play. And, and considering that more of a, a war, call that a little more of a loud warning because now I've drawn attention to it. Right. And so now not only those two players have seen and know that they've been warned, the other eight players on the floor know that they've been warned. The coaches know that they've been warned. Um, and, and all that happens in hopefully, you know, a quick five second stoppage of the game. And then we put the ball back in play and we go. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, the last warning really would be the one that we're going to put in the book, right? Yep. And whether it's uh, on the coach or an assistant coach, but we're stopping the game and making that official uh, a warning as well. Well, let's take a quick break for halftime. And when we come back, we'll head to the third and fourth quarters, followed by the post game and the lighthearted five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, ref. This is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co-official Mark Fralick and the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin, distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night. A packed gym, the place is rocking, and we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night. Welcome back for the third quarter. In the third quarter, we talk about officials, communications, crew dynamics. But before we get to the questions, Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC want to tell you this. Hey, ref. Rule 1, Section A, Article 3, in the Project Management Rulebook says trusting your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns. Our third quarter, we talk about officials, communications with the other officials, and crew dynamics. Uh, so, Kurt, let's talk a little bit about what officials can do to improve that crew cohesiveness throughout the game, not just pregame, but also at, maybe at halftime or even during timeouts. Yeah, you know, and we've, we've kind of talked about it already a little bit in, in, in previous quarters, but that communication, it, it pervades the entire game, right? And it's not just... Um, verbal communication, it's nonverbal communication, it's knowing team foul situations, it's knowing score and time, it's understanding that, um, you know, if, if a team gets uh, somebody in foul trouble and they've got four fouls, knowing that that other team's probably going to try and attack that player, right? Um, get them in, in foul trouble, get them on the bench. Um, it's knowing that uh, if the score dictates um, and that one team is going to want to foul to send them to the line to stop the clock, understanding that and knowing that and being ready for it. Um, and, and so that communication um, um, between crewmates 
is is vital to make sure that all three officials are on the same page. Um, you know, timeouts obviously can be a situation where where we come together if need be. Um, ideally, I don't think that's something that should be done during every timeout. Um, but a timeout does give you an opportunity to come together if you need to um, pass a message, whether it's, hey, I've warned this player, um, uh, watch this, uh, you know, I saw this action, it didn't dictate a foul, didn't need a foul, but hey, let's keep an eye on it, make sure, it you know, if it doesn't escalate from there. Um, and those kind of can be talked about during timeouts. Obviously, if we get down, you know, inside that last minute, and we've got timeouts. Those are great opportunities to come together, make sure, hey, we realize this team's got eight, this team's got nine fouls, so we're going to be shooting one-on-one or we're going to be shooting two. Um, let's make sure we're getting the first foul. Um, let's make sure we're getting the right person to the line. Um, and then, you know, even just nonverbal communication throughout the game. Um, you know, if if a, a certain play happens um, and, and I want to talk about that play, um, you know, maybe I, I kind of, point at my head um, to my partner and say, hey, let's remember that play. I want to talk about it um, and, and you know, put it in kind of in our, in our bank and, and think about it later and talk about it later. Um, you know, at halftime, obviously, great opportunity to come together to talk about, you know, any trends that we saw in the first half, uh, any players that need to be, you know, watched a little bit more closely, um, style of play, um, you know, what we think you know, the, the might come out in the third quarter, right? Because of the, the, you know, the first few minutes of the, the third quarter, you know, obviously coaches think it's vitally important and it is, you know, it's kind of sets the tone for the second half. And so um, what adjustments might teams make, you know, what, what were they doing that worked well? What were they not doing well? Might they come back with the press? Um, having those kind of conversations at halftime, um, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to talk at half. Um, it goes pretty quickly. Um, but if you do have those kind of conversations to make sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's seeing the same, the game, the same way, hopefully, um, and that we're consistently calling and enforcing the rules from end to end, um, and make sure that we're on the same page. What advice would you have for some eager young official that as, uh, wants to move from the lower levels up to varsity? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, one of the, the, things that I tend to see is that uh, officials think they're ready to get that varsity assignment before they will actually get it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of reasons why people get the games that they get. Um, and we're never always going to know what the assigners are thinking or why they're thinking the way they're thinking. Um, and you might think you're ready to do that game. And, and just because you don't get it, doesn't you know might not mean that you aren't you know you are ready but a lot of factors go into it and so um being patient i think is, is the very first thing i would tell that, that young official um that that wants to move up um secondly being, being willing to listen to feedback um nothing will get you on a list quicker then if you're getting evaluated by somebody or if somebody's watching you and trying to provide you feedback and you don't want to hear it, right? Uh, you know, if, if, if I'm evaluating somebody and they don't, if they want to be argumentative, um, if I think they're not, you know, not listening to, to what we have to say um, or providing feedback, I'm going to assume they don't want to hear it and, and 
you know, that's that. And they, and they don't want to, you know, get better. They don't want to improve. Um, and, and that will, that will sour me quickly, uh, on a young official. So being willing to listen to feedback, um, thirdly, you never know who's watching your game, you know, whether it's a seventh, eighth grade game, a freshman JV game, you never know who is in the stands that might see you. And, and that's your one impression, uh, for them to see you and hopefully make it a good one. Um, and so treat every game, you know, with the, the respect that it, that it deserves, um, and keep working hard. Um, if, um, if you want to look to get better, find an official that you, you know, respect, admire, think does a good job. Other people think does a good job. Try and get their ear, try and get their feedback. See if they'll come watch you. Um, because, you know, uh, a lot of assigners here in central Ohio, uh, especially when we were on cruise, you know, we're not, we don't do as many crews anymore around here. Um, but when we did cruise and, and you would work with JV officials, you know, we would, we would be required to grade the JV and freshman officials. And, and, you know, a lot of the, the criteria kind of came down to, you know, would you, if you were an A official for a freshman and JV, that meant, I think this person's ready to work varsity, right. Or I would work a varsity game with them. Um, and so, you know, assigners, you know, there's, there's lots of schools and they're not going to be able to get to every single school. Um, and so a lot of times they depend on, you know, feedback from other experienced, uh, varsity officials. And if, if, if I watch you, you know, work a freshman and JV game and, and do a great job, you know, Hey, I, I'll, I'll tell the assigner, Hey, saw this person. They were before me, uh, during the freshman JV game, man, they did a great job. Um, and, and so those kind of things can, can go a long way with a, a young official as well. Um, you know, and, and look for opportunities, you know, be, be the official that, uh, if you get sent a contract and you're open, you accept it. So, so keep your, you know, your arbiter, whatever system you're, you're using up to date, your calendar and availability, um, because you need to be, uh, somebody that the official, the assigners can count on and be dependable. And, and when you're given an assignment and you show up and you take it and you show up to the game on time and you do, you do the job well. Um, and, and then, you know, if, if you need to get, uh, seen, so to speak, you know, look for the opportunities in the summer, um, whether there are, uh, fish eating camps or clinics, you know, go to as many as you can, um, try and get that feedback from people. You never know who's going to be there watching that, that might assign games or might know somebody that assigns your games in your area. Um, and that might be the one opportunity to, to be seen. And so take advantage of it. This is the quarter where I like to have my guests answer questions from officials um, that submit the questions. So if, if you have a question that you would like to submit to me for uh, future officials to, to uh, answer, you can email me at markfralick at hotmail.com. And I'll include the question in future interviews. So here's one from Ohio. It says, when is the appropriate time to call a technical foul for a player who dunks the basketball and hangs on the rim? Yeah. So, and it's funny. I'll, I'll relate it to a play that actually happened tonight um, in the game. Uh, player, uh, opponent, Northwestern player went up, uh, dunk, and a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a hang on the rim, but there was also a player underneath 
but then they smacked the right side of the backboard when they were still up there. And that got that got the attention of two of the officials in the Florida night, and they stuck with a technical foul. And, you know, Coach Collins from Northwestern was very upset, um, said there was a player underneath him. And they said, you're right, there was. And they explained to him, though, that it was because he smacked the backboard. Um, and so that that's what happened tonight. For me, um, that's the, the first thing I'm looking for is, is there a player underneath? You know, is there a reason that, hey, I don't want to fall on somebody who's underneath me, whether it's a teammate or an opponent? Um, I, I think when it comes to hanging on the rim, um, it, sometimes it's it's got to see it to, to define it. Um, you know, obviously for me, if a player does a chin-up, you know, that's, that's a pretty easy one, right? Mm-hmm. If they, if they do a chin up and there's nobody that, you know, and, or, or like tonight, they, they dunk the ball and, and while they're still up there, they slap the backboard. That's an easy one. Um, you know, if, if they dunk the ball and, and swing from one side to the other, you know, um, I think we saw that in the, in the state tournament a few years ago. Um, it, that, that kind of trips my trigger as well. Um, but if, there is somebody in the area i'm gonna try and give them the benefit of the doubt that that's why they're still up there um if it's more of a hey look at me then then i might that might trip my trigger so you're looking at showmanship a little bit a little bit yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah yeah. all right good well that's the end of our third quarter we're going to head to the fourth quarter but first we're going to hear from pq2 llc hey ref The fourth quarter is crunch time. With the outcome of the game in the balance, a hoops official's greatest assets are experience, knowledge, and game management skills. And when that final buzzer sounds and we return to the locker room for our post-game debrief, we know we've done our best. When it comes to plastic resins, PQ2 LLC brings the same experience, knowledge, and management skills to every client engagement. Our observations are focused, our solutions are practical, and our results are exponential. Check us out at www.pq-2.com to learn how we've earned our stripes. Our fourth quarter is a variety of questions. We always start out with the same scenario. Uh, The game's tied at 60-60. There's five seconds to go in the game. Team A has the uh, inbound underneath their own basket and has called timeout. So what are you and your partners going to be talking about? So, one, I'm going to be thinking about what what do they typically do when they get the ball underneath the basket, right? Um, you know, who is, the, who is the, the guy that they're trying to get the ball to? Because that's obviously where you want to kind of have your attention be focused, right? If, the, if they have one player who's by far and away their best player, that's the guy they're going to try and get the ball. Um, and so whether that's running him off a screen, um, or maybe he's the inbounder and then he's going to try to look to get the ball back after the inbound. Um, I, I want to think about that. Um, obviously we want to know what the foul situation is, right? So, um, are, you know, is there, are we in a bonus situation? Uh, are we, um, are we shooting two? Um, and, and definitely want to have that kind of discussion. I want to know. Does, does A still have timeouts left, um, right? So if, if we get in a situation where they can't get the ball inbounded, um, want to know about, you know, are, might they be calling a timeout? Um, and, and, and so just make sure that everybody's ready to go. 
most importantly probably is the clock, right? Mm-hmm. So if if we're inbounding the ball and I'm the official that's inbounding the ball underneath the basket, so I've got the I've got the five seconds on the throw in. I need my trail who's chopping um, to make sure that hey, when we get that ball touched, that clock gets started. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, then you know I, we want to have a discussion. You know, if there is a foul or the ball goes out of bounds or have a violation, we need to have eyes on that clock to make sure it gets stopped as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we have to, if we're going to do anything with the clock, as far as the correcting go, we have to know how much time is on there. There's no guessing. Um, we have to know that, Hey, uh, th- that I called that foul. There was still two seconds left. Um, that clock ran down to 0.8. We need to fix the clock. Um, that's probably the most important thing. And the one thing that can screw up a game, because if you don't have knowledge, you can't do anything about it. You know, we talk about situations like this uh, during a, a game, and, and these are, you know, tense moments. Um, what kind of things do you do during the game to remain calm? Um, you know, I, I think um, my my nature, my personality is, is pretty even keel, so that helps me. Um, and, and so I think by nature, um, I don't get too high, I don't get too low. Um, but I think during those timeouts, um, I think just kind of taking a deep breath, um, you know, looking at the scoreboard, seeing what the score is, seeing what the foul situation is, um, seeing how much time is on the clock, um, just kind of trying to, to use that timeout to, to reset, um, make sure that, that we know exactly what the game situation is, make sure that the scoreboard's correct as far as how many timeouts each team has left. Uh, and those kind of things. Um, and so I think that that kind of helps me just stay engaged and focus. Um, but, but also just kind of taking a deep breath, whether, or, you know, going and make sure my partners are on the same page as well. Um, obviously helps. As you look at your 20 year career, what are some of the games that you remember the most? Uh, well, you know, obviously I think it goes without saying the, the, the state semifinal, Mm -hmm. um, back in 2016, um, was, was very uh, memorable. Um, you know, some of the district finals, um, that, that I've had the opportunity to work in and regionals have been memorable as well. Um, and actually my first regional, uh, assignment back in 2012, um, was over in Canton. And it actually was a situation where I was a, uh, a replacement um, for somebody uh, that week because one of the two teams that was playing, his daughter went to that school. So that official had to get replaced. And so that was actually how I earned my first uh, regional assignment. Um, and, and that game was definitely memorable because I ended up sticking one of the, the two coaches in the a uh, minute or so to go in the fourth quarter. Um, and so that's definitely something that I will uh, <laughs> uh, remember as well. Um, when you look at officiating, uh, what do you gain from it professionally and, and maybe even in your personal life? Um, I think the thing that I enjoy the most about officiating is the the people, the other officials. Um, you know, I'm, I've I was fortunate when I moved back to Ohio that uh, I had an official that I still work with a lot to this day. Um, we were still on cruise and, and he had asked me to come join his crew 
um, and and those those opportunities to work as a crew and with those people and and travel to you know the schools with them. Um, you know, obviously this year is a little bit different in that regard um, because you know we're we're trying to not spend that much time with people. You know, we're only getting to school here in Central Ohio and in, in the OCC basically forty five minutes before the game starts, as opposed to you know in the past we would get there to watch the JV game. We would evaluate the JV officials. We go on a halftime. We talk to them, um, and and so it was more of a an all night event. Uh, as a, as it, it's not this year, and so that's that's something that I definitely miss. Um, I think you know the the car rides, the the going out after the game on a Friday night, and, and just chatting about your game and um, and enjoying the company of the other officials um, is is definitely. Uh, one of the things that I, I like the best and the most about officiating, um, but just being involved with with the game of basketball. Um, you know, I played it in high school and and enjoy basketball. And and officiating was definitely a way to, to just stay connected with sports. Um, and and quite frankly, you know, give back to high school uh, athletics and, and high school sports. Um, I know officiating uh, across the state and a lot of sports is is way down and, and there's shortfalls and shortages all over the place. Um, and, you know, I've got three kids, two that are in fifth grade and a, and a first grader. And um, it, it would pain me that if they were in middle school or, or or high school and, and there weren't officials to work. Right. And, and to not have that opportunity for, for the, the youth in Ohio to be able to play, um, that would, that would definitely be uh, a downside. And so staying involved with, with sports and, and giving back in that regard is, is, uh, one of the positives as well. Well, that puts us through the fourth quarter. We were at the end of the game, so uh, we're going to all right. So we're going to head to the post game, but before we get there, Matt Kearns and PQ Two LLC would like to say this. Hey ref, good game. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest, it can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different when the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know. Visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call. In our post game, uh, you've addressed already the brother and sisterhood of officiating, and, and that's great. Uh, those are some great comments you had. Um, talk a little bit about maybe the best advice that you ever received from a basketball official. The best advice um, that I ever received, and, I, and actually I already mentioned it once earlier, is, is you can't misquote silence, right? And so, um, you know, a lot of times – um, the best intentions of an official who might be addressing something that coach just said makes the situation worse. Um, and, and even if you, you're, you're trying to um, defuse the situation, maybe what you said didn't get perceived in the way that you meant it. 
Um, you know, and, and all of a sudden you've got, you've thrown gasoline on the fire unintentionally. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's probably, um, the best advice I've ever received, uh, as from an official summit camp is quote silence. How about conditioning and workouts? What do you do personally, um, during the season and off season to stay in shape? Yeah. And that's something that's, that's obviously changed. Um, for me, unfortunately, this year is, is I, I have not had the opportunity uh, to do the things that I normally would do uh, to work out. You know, I, I, I work in a rec center, so you would think that I have all the time in the world to, to you know, before work or after work and, and have the, all the equipment at my disposal to work out. And, and to an extent we do, but, uh, you know, COVID has changed a lot in that regard. But normally, um, cardio is a big part of, of my, uh, you know, workout and try and stay in shape. Um, you know, football season for me, you know, starts in early August and, and basically runs right into basketball season and then basketball season goes through March. And so, um, those, those officiating opportunities keep me busy for those six months. Um, those, the, the cardio is, is my main, uh, form of workout. Uh, I like to jog, so I'll run outside, uh, as well when the weather is nice enough to, or, or, uh, when I, when I want to take my dog with me and we'll go for a jog. Um, my workouts during the season, uh, doesn't change a, a lot, but I might just limit, you know, the amount of workouts, you know, running up and on the court is, is a workout in, in and of its own. Uh, and you're doing that three or four nights a week. That can be a lot. So, uh, I'd, I usually would scale back, uh, the number of workouts maybe during the season. Um, but, uh, like you said, I am 43 and, uh, definitely have to stay in shape for these young athletes on the floor there's no doubt about that <laughs> yeah and it's important too we talk about uh you, you said how many games you had during the week or most of us have during the week and and to talk a little bit about family life and uh how you've been able to balance that you have a, a wife that you uh care of for 14 years uh you, you mentioned you had three children a son and daughter who are twins and, and another daughter that's six so how are you able to balance life between home life and officiating life yeah uh first of all absolutely have a very understanding uh wife and family um you know and, and up until this year actually my son bennett last year started to go in with me to games um and i kind of felt like he was old enough to to sit and you know usually sit in the first or second row sit by himself and he would come back with us um you know, after the game and, and be with us before the game, but then he go out there and he just watched the game and, and he loved that. And that's one of the things that he definitely misses this year is he's not able to do that. Um, but definitely have a very understanding, uh, wife and family. Um, you know, I, I, there was a point in my officiating career where I, I, you know, went the college route for a few years, um, and was doing that while I was doing uh, high school. Um, and, and about five years into that, uh, try and got college, I, you know, I kind of came to a crossroads a little bit and, um, you know, I, I told myself before that year started, like, you know, I need to make a decision at the end of this year, you know, do I really want to stick with college and, and try and give it a go and, and see where it takes me, um, but it, it was definitely putting the stress and the strain on our family. Uh, we were expecting my youngest, our, our third child, um, at the time, and you know, the the schedule kind of became 
a bit hectic, you know, you'd be on a Sunday, you know, doing a, a college game somewhere in Ohio or West Virginia, um, you know, junior college and regional campus things, those kind of things. And, and I had told myself, you know, I, I didn't want to continue. This was me personally. I didn't want to continue to be a college official just so that I could say I'm a college official. And, and that wasn't, that wasn't my goal. Um, and, and quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't see the level of advancement that maybe I was hoping to. And so I, like I said, I came to a crossroads and had to say, you know, I, I'm going to give up college um, and, and I'm going to stick with high school. Um, and, and that, that definitely um, helped, you know, the, the home life um, and I've enjoyed doing uh, high school for these last, you know, few years without doing college. It's, it's been great. Um, it's, it's definitely uh, kept me, grounded here more at home um it's kept me more available um, i definitely have been missing you know kids activities and and family events those kind of things and so that helped um in that regard but like i said definitely a, a very understanding uh wife um and hopefully if not you know sometime this year next year able to take my son with me or my daughter with me to the games again in the future um because you know that's something that he loves and, and heck I wouldn't be surprised if by the time he's what a 14, I think you can start officiating in the state of Ohio. Right. So <laughs> I would not be surprised if, uh, in, in another three or four years, if he's looking to get his license. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. That's the end of the post game. We're going to head to the final segment, the five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey ref. PQ2 LLC is proud to be the thermoplastic resin company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at 330-888-9448 and ask what makes PQ2 LLC different. Officials cite relationships within the community of basketball officials as a huge reason why we take the floor each game night year after year. PQ2 LLC brings the same passion you have in the locker room to every client relationship we've built over the years. Well, welcome back, and we're at the point where we have the five quick decisions. And so the first question we always ask is this. We're often fed after games, not so much this year, but, um, you know, last night after the game that I had, uh, the athletic director came up to me and said, hey, uh, we have a hospitality room in there, so feel free to go in and, and grab whatever we have in there. And, you know, I forgot to go in there after the game it was on the other side of the floor i know how could i do that here i am promoting that (laughs) great food at different places and i i forgot totally forgot to go in there but what what's some of the best food that you've had at ball games you know probably the most memorable um situation it actually was not at a a basketball game was at a football game it was at northmont high school um for a playoff game um and I tell you, they must have had, oh, 30 or 40 feet worth of tables of all kinds of potluck food that, like, their boosters made just for the officials and and son. And it was chili and sandwiches and pizza and dessert and nachos and, uh, you know, food for as long as the eye could see. It was unbelievable. Um, And I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and, and like you said, I, I have seen the occasional hospitality room, 
um, you know, at a tournament or, or an all day classic time event. And, and those are great. Um, but that, that situation, that hospitality area at Northmont, uh, high school was, was unbelievable. I had a guy that I used to work with. He said, if it's free, take two. So, so it <laughs> sounds like, sounds like you could have had yourself a feast there. Um, Absolutely. bring that Ziploc baggie and just load that baby up. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. Well, it, it, you know what, you know what all officials always say, if you, if you leave the food, then the next crew is not going to get the food because they don't think nobody wants. So you got to take it, right? Exactly. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. No doubt. Uh, if there's one rule that you could change in high school basketball, what would it be? Ooh, interesting. You know, I think, and I was just talking about this rule, um, and it's a, it's something that college added recently, um, and I would love to see it in high school as well, and it's a warning for flopping. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not only for somebody who is trying to draw a player control foul, but it could even be on an offensive player mm-hmm. who flails their arms or throws out their leg to try and, you know, get the official to call a foul that's not there. Um, and so in college basketball, if there's a flop warning called, they will, they won't stop the game right there necessarily, but they'll stop the game when they have the opportunity to, whether it's, you know, at the next dead ball, um, after a basket, that kind of thing. And they'll let the table know that there was a flopping warning on that player and, and at the time. And then if it happens again, it's treated like any other kind of warning and it becomes a technical foul. Hmm. And so, I think that would help us um, in high school as well. Um, I think players are getting um, they're they're getting better at trying to draw that contact, whether it's you know throw my head back as I'm dribbling um, to try and get the attention of the official to you know making me think that I got hit in the face or the head when I really didn't, um, and and the, gaining the advantage in that way. And I think that rule. Um, I have seen, at, especially at the college level, um, really decrease the the number of those types of things happening. Um, and I think that would be good for the high school game as well. I like that one. I think that's the first one I've heard on that. Yeah, the head bob drives me bananas. Um, yes. That, that, yeah, that's something that I, I wish we'd get rid of that. But um, Okay, uh, what do you think is the most misunderstood rule from the fans and maybe even the coaches? Uh. I would probably lean towards traveling. I think there's lots of possible answers here. Um, but, you know, the the person who receives the pass while bobbling the ball and doesn't really ever possess it, and everybody in the gym, half the coaches or both teams think it's a travel um, and, and not realizing that you can't travel, you don't have the ball. Um, and so I think traveling probably is, is one of the most misunderstood rules. I like that too. Uh, what's the best facility that you've ever worked a game in? Um, you know, from a high school perspective, yep. I, the the one place that I worked last year, actually for my district final, um, was at Vandalia Butler High School, mm-hmm. uh, the SAC, and I really uh, enjoyed that facility. Um, I, you know, I, I like the gym that has the more intimate feel where the, the, the teams and the players and the people, you know, the everything's close to the floor um and that's kind of an in, unique facility you know where you have a kind of a second level to it um and it makes it kind of more vertical and it feels like they're more on top of you and um when you get a good crowd in a, in a gym like that i think that's a that's a real fun place to work 
How about the funniest thing a fan ever said to you? You know, um, this was more of a, a funny interaction that I had with the fan. Um, older gentleman sitting at midcourt, and this is pregame. And, uh, you know, he, he let me and my partner know that, uh, you know, this is where he'd be. And, and if we needed any help tonight, he was there for us and he was, he was ready to help if we needed it. And, and I normally carry a second whistle just in case, and, you know, anything happens to the first, whether lane or breaks or whatever. So I'm ready to go. And so I said, all right, well, I pull out that second whistle. I said, Hey, I've, I've actually got a second whistle. Do you want it? And, uh, he got a little chuckle and we got a little chuckle and, and I, you know, I think that maybe helped us uh, in not having to hear from him as much, getting him on our side a little bit before the game started. Yeah, some of those people in the front row, they they tend to either be really annoying or they're some of the best people you've ever met. <laughs> Absolutely. It can, go, it can go one of two ways. Yeah. Well, hey, Kurt, thank you very much for spending time with me today. I appreciate uh, you being a part of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. I wish you the best of luck to the rest of the season and uh, and good luck. Thanks, Mark. Same to you. And that closes another episode of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fraley podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Until next time, have a great day. Brighten someone's day with a smile. And God bless.